Rich just said, I agree. It happens to be that the title of my teaching is How to Live in the Last Days. How to Live in the Last Days. Yeshua is coming. That's the title of my teaching. We're in this preparatory season heading up to the fall holy days. And in this preparation, we are looking forward to the return of the king, right? The fall holidays, if you, you must realize, you must know, is about the return of Yeshua. So we are preparing for his soon return. And we're remembering, as Dylan's Darash was exhorting us, the Moedim, the appointed times, are all about remembering what God has done in history, bringing it into the present, prophesying in that about what's going to happen in the future. And so we must remember, Dylan, that was uh, straight from heaven. Thank you. We are so blessed. I don't really have an introduction today, which is unheard of. <laughs> it's not. <laughs> but I was preparing for this teaching this week, and I literally felt the prayers of our community. I'm not just saying that. I've never said it before publicly. I felt there was this moment, and I felt the prayers. So you don't have to raise your hand, but if you were praying, even if it was a tiny prayer, one short prayer, a long prayer, whatever, there was this moment, and it like, it's like it reached this crescendo, and it like overflowed to where I even could recognize it. So at whatever level you're praying, I'm exhorting you to continue, because it, I felt this unifying reality, and I felt the presence of the Lord, and I, I don't know what revelation He was giving me at that time or something, but... It was, it was awesome. And when I felt this before was when my sons died. And I felt the prayers of the saints. And there's, it's just overwhelmingly awesome. So thank you. Thank you, thank you. So point number one, no introduction. I have four points. I don't usually have points either. Four points, here we go. Recognize that we live in the last days. We must recognize we live in the end times. Point number one. Now, when I say last days, I realize for many people this can be emotional. It could be excitement. It could be fear. It could be annoyance. It could be a whole host of different emotions. And here's a few things I wrote down that might be going through your head as I say this. Tom, nobody really knows. But some of these may be from your own person, some from Satan, some from somewhere else. <laughs> here's another one. The end times aren't clear in Scripture. Here's another one. I'm burned out by the overemphasis on the end times. That was my story for a long time. I grew up, it's, it's all, it seemed to be talking about, but that's not really true. Or it's too scary, I don't want to think about it. Because if you don't think about things, then they just go away, right? <laughs> you don't have to deal with them, right? Let's turn... To the book of Revelation, of course. In fact, I want to look at the end of the end of the book. 
fact, this whole book that you're basing your life on, God willing, comes down to these last two verses. It may have been a while since you read them. I want to remind us what it says here. Revelation chapter 22, verse 20. This is the conclusion. This is the end goal. This is the telos, if you will, in Greek. It says, the one giving testimony. We're talking about Yeshua, the one, capital. The one giving testimony. And testimony, just a side, but it's an important side, in Greek is the word martyr. To give witness and testimony is where we get the word martyr. So you can literally read this as the one who has given his martyrdom to these things for this purpose, for this reason. The great martyr, if there ever was one, right? This is what Yeshua says. Yes, I am coming soon. I am, we sang about the I am, I am coming soon. John says, Amen, come, bow, Lord Yeshua. May the grace of the Lord Yeshua be with all. I am coming soon. Rewind a little bit, Revelation 22, verse 7, or in the TLV, the title of 6 through the end is Yeshua is coming. You see it? If you have TLV, Yeshua is coming. This is my subtitle. How to live in the end times, how to live in the last days, Yeshua is coming. It says in verse 7, Behold, I am coming soon. Or you could say the, the angel saying, I am is coming soon. Verse 20, or excuse me, Revelation twenty-two twelve. he says it again. Behold, I am coming soon, and my reward is with me to pay each back according to his deeds. This is Yeshua, because he goes on to say, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. We're going to go through some scripture today. Revelation chapter 3, verse 11. Again, Yeshua says in verse 11, This is this letter to the congregation in Sardis, and he says, I am coming soon. This is your rabbi, okay? This is Yeshua speaking here. This is our Messiah, our Savior, our Lord, our Master. He's saying, I am coming soon. If you have a red letter Bible, this is red letter. I am coming soon. Hold on to what you have so that no one will take away your crown. The one who overcomes, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God, and he will never leave it. And on him I will write the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down out of heaven from God, and my own new name. He says what? I am coming soon. Yeshua is saying, you live in the last days. But it's about being an overcomer. That's what it says in the text, right? It's about becoming a pillar in the temple of God. Okay. One more scripture and then I'll make a comment. James or Jacob, chapter 5. James or Jacob 5. Verse 7, so be patient, brothers and sisters, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient for it until it receives the early and the late rains. You also be patient. Strengthen your hearts because the coming of the Lord is near. Do not grumble against one another, brothers and sisters, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. What is he saying? The coming of the Lord is near. If you go through, and I won't go through, we'd be here a long time. 
you can go through almost all the apostolic writers, all of the New Testament, and you see that there is this exhortation, there is this clarity that the Lord is coming soon. And you can try and get around it, that maybe it means quickly, like a thief in the night, but there's this expectation, there's this anticipation, they're living their life as if he's going to return in their lifetime. And you really can't explain it away. So we have a problem. Or do we? Because clearly it's been about 2,000 years, right, since this time. So what do, what do we do with that, right? Well, it teaches us something, right? God could have kindly not put these things in the scripture, right? But I just quoted the Yeshua ones on purpose, because it's not just the rest of the apostles, although it also includes the rest of the apostles, but we have Yeshua himself saying this, and he doesn't make mistakes, does he? So why would he say, I'm coming soon, when it's been 2,000 years? Maybe, here's what I want to suggest, that he's trying to teach us something. Maybe he's a rabbi. Maybe he's once, this is like trying to teach us, why would he say coming soon? Because he's in God's economy, the end times, the last days, apparently began 2,000 years ago. Real simple. And he wanted every generation since then to live as if with this expectation and excitement that he was going to return. That's the takeaway. Why else would he have it there, right? He's not a liar. May every man be found a liar, but not him. I want you to live with this expectation and anticipation of my soon coming. Boom, end of the book. Right? Now, that's my main point, number one. Recognize we live in the last days of the end times. Okay? Now, I do believe we're at the end of the end times. You, you can follow me? But that's for another teaching. I mean, we do have, and this is where Israel becomes a sign and showing us that we have 1948, 1967. We have the rebirth of the Messianic Jewish movement. We have the full number of the Gentiles. We have a lot of different things, but that's another teaching. So you don't have to believe me on that. We can go to that one later. But back to this James passage. At the very end, he says, Behold, the judge is standing at the door. This is talking about the wrath of God. Last week, Rich gave this incredible teaching on the wrath of God. If you haven't listened to it, you need to listen to it. Because what he was demonstrating us was that the wrath of God is this aspect of God's goodness. I'll say it again. The wrath of God, the judgment of God, and here's the, the word, the social justice of God is this aspect of his goodness. And we must understand this. True biblical justice demands a day of reckoning for the unrepentant wicked. I'll say it again. The justice of God demands a day of reckoning for the unrepentant wicked. This is part of the good news. This is part of the gospel. Because if, there, if, there's none, if there's no recompense, this isn't the full gospel. I was joking with my dad about the full gospel businessmen, and the emphasis was on the gifts of the spirits, the full gospel, and that's true, but it's also this emphasis on his return. It's... Yes, it's the cross, but it's also his return. It's this recompense. It's social justice is this cry, and we're seeing it in humanity right now. Think about this. So many people are, are wanting to do violence to others in the name of justice, right? And in some sense, there's something true and right inside their heart. They're image bearers. 
They're made in God's image and likeness, and they're, they're, they're recognizing the injustice of the world, but without Yeshua, they don't know how, what to do with it, right? And so they're trying to take it into their own hands, or they're, they're, it's uh, unredeemed mercy, or it's, it's, well, at the end of the day, they want judgment for everybody else and mercy for themselves. And so do you. And so do I. Right? So we're all a bunch of hypocrites. Whitewashed tombs. Don't laugh. The problem is humanistic social justice is not able to reckon with all the evil. All the humanitarian effort, all the money, all the time, it's not going to reckon with all the evil today, let alone in human history past. And in fact, the ecclesia, the kedoshim, God's saints, the church, we're not able to reckon with it either. As much as we try, we can't. But we do know one who can. A few months ago, I taught on biblical social justice, and I gave four characteristics. I'm not going to get into all four. I just want to mention one. And the one I mentioned that I want to emphasize here is that God's or biblical social justice considers eternity. It considers eternity future, the age to come or the world to come. It's, and so what that means is that not all of the consequence for sin are observable in this age. I say that again. People are committing sins all the time, right? But what this means is that all of the sin, we don't see all the consequence for people's sin in this age. David says it this way. God, why are the wicked prospering, right? It's, it's, it's observable. It's not, it doesn't make sense to him. When I was preparing, I had this memory that James Brown, the godfather of soul, when he died, he was buried in a gold coffin. And I looked it up, because I was like, did I remember that right? Because I didn't want to like, say something that wasn't true. And this is what I found. That James Brown and Michael Jackson also decided to be buried in the same sort of coffin like James Brown. So we got the king of pop. And here's what it said on this article. They were buried in a solid bronze, hand-polished, 14-karat gold-plated coffin. <laughs> 25 grand. And I'm not saying these guys are evil. I don't know their story. I'm just saying everything is not observable when we look at it on the outside, right? So you're buried in a gold coffin. Well, he's good to go, right? No! You can't take it with you. So while that's true, that's not really my emphasis. What I'm wanting us to see is that some consequences for sin are observable in this age. Now, I talked a little bit, uh, a little bit about this at my small group. And on an individual basis, you could think of sexually transmitted diseases. Sexual immorality can lead to disease, right, on this individual basis, and you can know it came from this sin, this is what happened, right? Now, not everything's that cut and dry. Actually, most sin is not that cut and dry, right? There's also a corporate observable sin we can see, and I'm going somewhere with this, all right? Think of Israel's exile from the land. This is a corporate punishment or judgment. That's the word everybody's asking right now. Judgment, right? Corporate judgment for their sin. Now, let's get, get into it. What about Hurricane Harvey? What about Hurricane Irma? 
Is this God's judgment? Everybody's writing about this right now. Everybody's talking about this, right? Is this God's judgment? Rick just told me before service, some are saying it's judgment because Trump's the president. (laughs) Some are saying it's because sexual immorality, shedding innocent blood. I mean, you could go on and on, right? It's called America. We're the harlot. We deserve it. Is it God's judgment if someone gets cancer? If someone gets a disease? If someone's sons die? Is it judgment? Let's get personal. Let's hold that question. We'll get back to it. Make you squirm a little bit. Remember, we live in the end times. What is our response? Remember a few weeks ago, we're seeing signs in the heavens, right? There's a solar eclipse. Did you hear about it? (laughs) There was a series of tetrad or something, blood moons last year, right? Quadra tetrad, I can't remember the name, right? There are natural disasters, I'm quoting here. Famine, there are wars, there are rumors of wars. (laughs) Can you show this next picture here? Debbie Banhart and Rick sent me this text. And it's this picture of the hurricane, Irma, that's coming to Florida. Now, don't think I'm being insensitive. My brother's in Florida, and they just put up metal thing, metal uh, coverings over their windows here, okay? And it says, I showed this picture to my son. It's a text, trying to explain to him what's going on in Florida. He says to me, this is a Jewish, I think non-Messianic, just Jewish kid. He says, Taddy, look, it's a shofar. I think Hashem is telling us to do teshuva, Repentance. Um, did anyone else see that? <laughs> Can you see that? Hello? <laughs> My second point. How do you live in the end times? Anybody remember? Repent. What do we do when we see a solar eclipse? We repent. What do we do when we hear about hurricanes coming? We repent. What do we do when the moon turns to blood? We repent. What do we do with famine and wars and rumors of wars? And what do we do when we wake up? And what do we do when we go to sleep? Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And it began 2,000 years ago. And in some sense, it's the same story. Now, we also should pray like we did earlier and intercede. There are other things as well. But we need to get prayed up first in our, for ourselves, right? Because it's kind of like when the, the airplane uh, oxygen loses it, right? What is it called? It loses what? It's called pressure. <laughs> pressure thank you. And put the mask on yourself first before your kid, right? Or it might be too late. You want to go help people? Great. Put the mask on yourself All right, turn to Matthew chapter 3. Point number 2, repent. Matthew chapter 3. Notice my second point wasn't how to live in the last days. Be afraid! (laughs) Send fear into everybody! Matthew chapter 3, verse 1. I've got it up here as well. In those days, John the Immerser came proclaiming in the wilderness of Judea, Repent, or turn away from your sins, for the kingdom of heaven is near. For he is the one Isaiah the prophet spoke about, saying, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord, and make his paths straight. Verse 5, then Jerusalem was going out to him and all Judea and all the region around the Jordan confessing their sins. 
They were being immersed by him in the Jordan. But when he saw many Pharisees and Sadducees coming to his immersion, he said to them, You brood of vipers, who warns you to flee the coming wrath? Therefore produce fruit worthy of repentance. And do not think that you can say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father. For I tell you that from these stones God can raise up children for Abraham. Already the axe is laid at the root of the trees. Therefore, every tree that does not produce good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. This is the wrath of God. As for me, I immerse you in water for repentance. But the one coming after me is mightier than I am. I'm not worthy to carry his sandals. He will immerse you in the Ruach HaKodesh, the Holy Spirit, and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand. He shall clear his threshing floor and gather his wheat into the barn. But the chaff he shall burn up with extinguishable fire. What is John saying here? You live in the end times. So repent. Same message. Why? Otherwise, the coming, there is a coming wrath for your sin. You And I deserve death. We deserve judgment. We deserve justice. Even justice. That's what we deserve. Not your own justice, but punishment for our sins, right? That's what we deserve, actually. There is none found worthy, no, not even one. Our righteousness is but filthy rags, right? So, but Yeshua here is also returning with the baptism of fire, meaning we know he came and gave us the Holy Spirit, but it also says, and, what's the other word? Fire. Fire. What do you mean, fire? Well, you could argue it means something else, but the context here, it's judgment, Right? If you don't have good fruit, it's thrown into the fire. It's the chaff he shall burn up with an inextinguishable fire. This is judgment. This is wrath. So that's why you repent. One reason, there's many reasons. Number two, of why you repent. So that it's not your own sin. I really want you to get this. Why do you repent? So that your own sin is not what leads to your trials and tribulations and suffering. You don't want to be sent into the desert by God for your own sin. If you go into the desert, you want to be sent by God's sovereign decision. You don't want your house to flood because of your own sin. But if God says he wants your house to flood, then that's his sovereign decision. Right? You don't want your sons to be taken because of your own sin. You want it to be a sovereign decision of God. Now, everything's actually a sovereign decision of God. But you don't want the weight of your sin to be causing that. So back to our question. Is it judgment that these hurricanes are coming? Yes, it is. Everything's judgment. But it's also not that simple. Because we all deserve death. We all deserve judgment. He could do that to every city in the world right now, and it would be deserved. Right? So, yes and no. Maybe not really. Sort of. 
I know righteous men in Houston. What do we do with that? But there are righteous men and women in Jerusalem when they got exiled, weren't there? So it's complicated. So can you just say yes for sure? I mean, this, the grace card, what I call the grace card, the mercy of God ruins everything. <laughs> because we all deserve judgment. But at any moment, at any time, at any second, he could come in with his mercy. In Houston, in a little story with this little baby, or with even an animal, or a mother, or a family, he can do whatever he wants. He will have mercy on who he will have mercy, and he will have judgment on who he will have judgment. Who knows the ways of God? Don't speak for God. This is a season of repentance. This is the month of Elul. And those of you who were really connected with this season of repentance, I want to make sure you don't miss what this season is really about. Because this season of Teshuvah is not about navel-gazing. Navel-gazing is this... It's, just, it's all about, I'm looking at me, I'm finding the sin. It's just, it's me for 40 days living, leading up to Yom Kippur. Oh no, it's not. Teshuva is turning to God, not to Tom. Don't miss it. Turn to God, and more specifically, turn to Yeshua, your salvation. Fix your eyes on Yeshua, the author and the perfecter of your faith. Hebrews 12, let's read it. It's powerful. Hebrews 12, verse 1. Therefore, since we have such a great cloud of witnesses, guess what the word witnesses is in Greek? Martyrs. Therefore, since we have such a great cloud of martyrs, it reads differently, doesn't it? Surrounding us, let us all get rid of every weight and entangling sin. How do we get rid of every weight and entangling sin? Keep reading. Let us run with endurance the race set before us, focusing on Yeshua, the initiator and perfecter of faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross. Verse 4, in struggling against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of bloodshed. Focus on Yeshua. There is no other name. Every knee will bow. Every tongue confess. Repentance is about turning to Yeshua. And yes, He will point things out to you if you truly turn to Him. I'm not saying we don't confess. Of course, this is part of it. But you go here first, and then let Him come and purify you. So how do we prepare live in the last days? We turn to Yeshua and we focus on Him, His social justice, His righteousness, His government. And then He will give us, what does it say in this text? He'll give us the endurance. That's what it says. It says, run with race the endurance said before you. Where does that come from? It comes from focusing on Yeshua. If you focus on Him, He gives you the endurance to be an overcomer, to be a martyr to actually be able to have this witness and testimony. Because the passage says that we will overcome by the blood of the Lamb and the word of our what? Testimony, which guess what that word is in Greek? Martyr. 
it reads different again, doesn't it? You overcome. This leads to my third point. Embrace the pain. Embrace the pain. You're not a victim. You're a human. This is my favorite one, maybe. Embrace the pain. You're not a victim. You're a human. The story of human history is one of suffering and sin. The end. But not. And yet Yeshua, right? The story, think of Adam and Eve. I was meditating and the Lord reminded me of this. Adam and Eve sin. And a short time later in the story, Cain kills Abel. And Cain, or Adam and Eve, realized that the sin they brought into the world caused one of their sons to murder their other son because of their sin. And they saw the consequence for their sin in their lifetime. We say, oh, they didn't die for 900 years. They didn't really see the consequence for their sin. Wrong. Try living with one of your sons murdering the other son because of your sin that you brought into the world. That's a weight you don't want to live under. Did God forgive him if they asked? Absolutely. But I'm saying we still have consequences for our sin in this age. So repent and turn to God and we should be sinning less. A few months after my um, second son, Wyatt, died, he was four and a half, I got this uh, letter in the mail. It's kind of a, as you can imagine, a, a difficult time, right? I got this letter in the mail from one of my old pastors. And he was very gracious, sending his prayers and condolences. And then he said this. He said, Tom, with all due respect... If you look at your story, your testimony throughout human history, it's actually not very dramatic. Up to about 100 years ago, children died in childbirth all the time. Kids under five died all the time. Women died in childbirth all the time. Fact. These are just facts. Now, he was... It was written well, okay? He was, he's saying, but your story in this modern medicine, it is dramatic. He wasn't saying that. He's saying, but in the course of human history, there's this common thread and story of suffering. And in that sense, you're like everybody else. And it was very comforting, actually, for me. Acts 14.22 says this. It is through many afflictions. I'm going to translate. There's different translations here. I'm going to give you all of them. It is through many afflictions, hardships, persecutions, tribulations, distress, that we must enter the kingdom of God. Let's say it again. It is through many afflictions, hardships, persecutions, tribulations, and distress that we must enter the kingdom of God. That's how you enter. Have you heard that story? That's how you enter the kingdom of God. You're not a victim. You're a victor. You're supposed to be an overcomer. And Paul Cheswick gave this passage earlier, John 16, 33. These things I have spoken to you so that in me you may have shalom. In the world you will have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world. It's about being an overcomer. We have to war against this victim mentality. Everybody is just, everybody is a victim now. Victim, 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 victim. And you know what? They're right. You didn't think I was going to say that, did you? <laughs> They're right. In the sense that we're all suffering. We all go through pain. We all go through distress. We all go through hardship. Lee and I talked with lots of people, and what we quickly found after our sons died is that everybody is going through difficult things, and it's really hard for them. 
Everybody has hardship. But it's, we've got to stop navel-gazing. Because see, the victim thing is, it's navel-gazing. Oh, woe is me. Get your eyes off yourself and get your eyes and your life on Yeshua. Because we must endure many afflictions, hardships, persecutions, tribulations, and distress in order to enter the kingdom of God. Do you want to enter the kingdom of God? Then embrace the pain. And I'm smiling as I say that. Embrace the pain. This is what it means to be an overcomer. Otherwise, what did you overcome? <laughs> right? He who endures to the end shall be saved. Matthew 10, 22. He who endures to the end shall be saved. All right, heading towards the conclusion. We recognize we're in the last days. Therefore, we repent, we turn, we fix our eyes and our life on Yeshua. And now we're able to endure and overcome the suffering of this world, right? But here's my last question and my last point. What is an example of the fruit worthy of repentance, right? Back to this Matthew passage. Show me the fruit worthy of repentance. So this is our application. Isn't this great? I even have an application. <laughs> Dylan, you're loving it. You know, Brenton's for sure loving it if he wasn't with the kids. <laughs> First Peter 4, one of my favorite passages in Scripture. First Peter 4. And if you have a TLV, it's just funny how my sermon's lining up with the TLV this week. The title that they gave to 1 Peter 4 is How to Live in the Last Days. Thank you, translators. If you're taking notes, here's the point, and then I'll break it down. The end of all things is near. Therefore... Show hospitality. <laughs> I love this. The end of all things is near. Therefore, show hospitality. Let's see what Peter says. First Peter 4. The context leading up to this is about suffering. Go read First Peter. First Peter 4, 7, he says, Now the end of all things is near. I'm not being dramatic. This is Peter. Now the end of all things is near. He's like me, likes to be dramatic. So be self-controlled and sober-minded in prayer, or for prayer. Above all, keep your love for one another constant. For love covers a multitude of sins. Be hospitable one to another without grumbling. As each one has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of the many-sided grace of God. What I'm suggesting is that hospitality is almost a summary of what he's saying here. Hospitality, the word in Greek is philoexenos. That may or may not help anybody, but it can mean to be given to hospitality. And Romans 12, similar, the same word is used, it means pursue hospitality. Be a lover of hospitality. First Timothy and Titus have these lists of what it means to be a leader, right? Eldership, deacons. And guess what? It has the same word. You must be hospitable. To be a leader. You want to be a leader? Be hospitable. I love it. Servant leadership, right? It literally means, this Greek word, friend love, philo, friend love to a stranger, a foreigner. Hospitality. You, who knows, you may have entertained an angel. Same word. Show hospitality. 
This is what? It's called the second commandment, right? That's what he says here. Above all, keep your love for one another. That's second commandment, right? Love covers a multitude of sins. Somehow, loving on your neighbor is able to prevent you from sinning. So you're ha- here's what I'm saying. You're having a bad week, right? You're going through some stuff this week. Let's be honest. Who's going? Th- now, after I sell this, you may not want to raise your hand, but raise your hand. You're, you're going through some stuff. Okay, you're going through some stuff. When you go through some stuff, trials, tribulations, whatever, you kind of want to isolate. You kind of want, I'm just, you know, I'm going to take a step back for a little while. I'm just going to, I kind of need to veg out. Who uses that word, veg out? What does that even mean? (laughs) Actually, it's right there. You know, I just kind of need to become a vegetable for a little bit. (laughs) Do you hear what you're saying? I just kind of need to be a vegetable for a little bit. And that's really going to help me. Do you hear yourselves? You don't want to be in a vegetative state. I'm not joking. That's not good. It won't help you. Do you hear me? Isolation isn't going to help you. And this is the, the kingdom. Peter is saying, or God is saying, you having a tough week, have somebody over for Shabbat dinner. I'm so tired, though. I'm worn out. Totally. Have them over, then. But I don't have time to prepare the meal. Order out. I don't have the money. Ask them to bring the food. I don't care. I mean, figure out a way, right? Figure out a way to show hospitality. Because some people are like, I don't, oh, I just I can't have people in my home. It's dirty. Clean it. Uh, or let them see your dirt and get over yourself. Oops. Right? Get over yourself. You live in it. Wake up. If you're embarrassed to have people over, then do something about it. I'm not joking. That's why I have this picture. Leah took this. Have people over. Hospitality. I mean, this is, it doesn't seem, you're laughing so much because this does not seem like the right answer. But this is what he's saying. The end, remember, Peter is thinking Yeshua is coming back soon. They are turning the world upside down. And they're like, show hospitality. This is amazing, isn't it? All right. To conclude, (laughs) Yeshua is coming soon. Therefore, I'll say it again. Repent. Turn your life to Yeshua, right? And through Yeshua, we are able to endure. I say to people when they're going through tough times, this is what I tell people, or, or when I pray over them, I pray the Lord would be near. Because if the Lord's near, you can go through anything. And you know what happens? Is that God uses people to be near in your life. And so when you're hospitable, guess what happens? They get near. And then you realize, I was really encouraged. Had a really cruddy week, but you know what? I'm encouraged now. And the people of God become his hands and feet. And that's the story of my life. That you guys have been the hands and feet of God. For me. For Leah. And you can do that for others. And we can all do this by being hospitable. Amen. Last verse. If maybe one of the musicians wants to come. First Peter 419, same chapter. So then, those who suffer 
according to God's will, which I think he means here, not the, he doesn't want us to suffer for our own sin. He doesn't want us to sin. But he does allow suffering to happen. This is part of coming into the kingdom of God, is what's clear in the text today. Let them trust their souls to a faithful creator while continuing to do good. So in the midst of our suffering, we trust our souls to our faithful creator and we do good to others. So Abba Father, we, I thank you for your forgiveness of sin. We pray for mercy and not judgment on our families, on ourselves, on our nation, on your, your chosen people, on Israel. Let's do good. Let's show hospitality. Let's show the world that in the midst of suffering, that we can live beyond that. That we can be a light in the darkness by our righteous deeds that come from you. This is how to live in the last days. Bo Yeshua, stand to your feet. So Abba Father, I just bless our people. I pray that you would watch them this week, that you would guard them, that they would be guarded by your commandments as they walk in your commandments, that you would release them into godliness, into righteous deeds that come from above, that they've been created for these righteous deeds, you say. So release them into the shine your face, your presence in the midst of this dark and suffering and sinful world. And Father, I pray you would put your shalom, you attack all the chaos, the insanity, the false prophecies, the false teachings, the fear, that you would attack all this fear and that we would fix our eyes on our soon-coming King. Our soon-coming King. The author and perfecter of our faith. There is none like you, God. Shem Yeshua. Shabbat Shalom. I think that was my first clap offering. How about that? Oh, no, no, no. If anybody needs prayer, they can come forward. We'll have our prayer teams for people.